The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 7091000. All right, good morning. I hope this morning that that is your, your prayer, that is the song of your heart. May God has been faithful. God is good to us. Despite the circumstances that are happening around us, God is always good to us. If you've got your Bibles there, this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read verses 18 down to verse 28 together this morning. Romans 8, verse 18 down to verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willing, but by reason of him who hath subject, subjected the same in hope because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of the corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan with ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. We are saved by hope, but hope that is seen not. Hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? For if we hope for that we have seen not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Praise God for his word. Praise God for the time that we have together. We're going to continue our worship service. If you have your Bibles this morning, we'll be in Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. And so thankful for us to be together this morning. I believe we might sing at the end of the service the goodness of God again. I believe that it goes so well with the sermon for today. I do hope that you will see that He is always good in everything that He does. 
you'll notice that we did not sing the bridge, and I'll just go ahead and make mention of that. I feel like we, there is a bit of a theological misstep in the bridge on the song, His love is running after me. I know that or His goodness is running after me. I believe that's a bit of a stretch. Theologically, His goodness is drawing you to repentance. And so you'll notice that we won't sing the bridge in the song. However, the verses are fantastic. Um, I might challenge you by the way of reminder, just make sure you check what it is that you sing. Just have a moment and reflect. The things that I'm singing, are they true? Uh, And so it's good for us to think through those things. The Apostle Paul has written this book of Romans, the most wonderful of letters probably that has ever been written for more clearly than any other book in the Bible. It clearly outlines the gospel and how it will affect your life. We've said it many times, the gospel will transform your life. Changes every aspect of your being. And the longer we're in the book of Romans, the more we get to see all of these different pieces. I think of the gospel as he clearly explained it. And then in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he gives another view of it. For he, that's God, hath made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. God made Jesus to be sin for me. He took my sin and put it upon Jesus. And then in exchange, He gave me His own righteousness. By the way, church, this morning, you need His righteousness. For my righteousness is but filthy rags. I will never be right with God in my own righteousness. I need His That's the Gospel. He took my sin and placed it on the cross. And then He took Christ's righteousness and placed it on me. This is a most glorious of all exchanges. And yet, I still have a problem. And that problem is that I still have this body. It manifests itself, this problem manifests itself in multiple different ways. My body is still here. By the way, when He saved me, He changed me, He made me alive, and you hath He quickened, Ephesians 2 and verse 1, and you hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. The real you came alive at salvation. You might remember Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So that when you see me, you look at my body, this is not the real me. The real me is Christ living in me as a believer. I'm a different person when I get saved. When you get saved, friend, you are changed. Old things are done away with. Behold, all things are become new. Philippians chapter 1 and verses 21 to 24, the Apostle Paul gives this statement. He says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So when I die, I put off this shell, this body, I put it off, and my soul gets to go be with Jesus. And he explains this is 
far better. So here, keep in mind, yes, I got saved. I was justified. But for the rest of this life, I have to put up with this flesh. And Paul says, oh, I want to go be with Jesus he continues on this statement in verse 22, Philippians 1.22, If I live in the flesh, that's the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. I don't even know what I want to do. That's what he said. I don't know whether I want to do. Would I want to stay here in the body? Because there's work that needs to be done and it's being done and that's a wonderful thing. But then I also want to go be with Jesus, which is much better. Verse 23, he says, I'm in a strait betwixt two. I don't know which way to go. I have a desire to depart and go be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So I can stay here. I can be with you, brothers and sisters, and I can help you in your Christian walk. Or I can go be with Jesus. And that's far better. And so I have this body. And it's going to be with me until I die. And after I die, I will be glorified. I will be forever with Jesus in a glorified body. And I won't have to put up with sick and pain and illness and death and sin and the flesh and temptation and lust and none of that stuff anymore. It will all be done. Gone with. But until then, I have to put up with this body. I don't know if you think of moving to heaven and going to be with Jesus as a dreadful thing because you're afraid of what death might be. Oh, see death, friends. See death as just the door that gets you into eternity to be with Jesus forever. That should change our mentality. Don't worry about it. For maybe you think of going to be with Jesus forever in similar light like maybe you move from one city to a different city. And when you move from one city to a different city, you have to think of things like, how will I get there? And when I get there, where will I stay? And how will I pay my easy pay so that I can survive when I'm there? Just remember, He has gone before us. How will I get there? He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Jesus. He's made the way. Oh, and when I get there, He has already prepared a place for me. And then, how am I going to pay my easy pay? Don't even need it, for He is the light of the city. He provides everything we need. So when you think about making the journey to eternity to be with Jesus, oh, listen to Paul's words. To go be with Him is far better. So the day will come, friends, when they will lay me out in a coffin. It very well possibly could be right here. The day may come when they lay me out in a coffin, but I beg of you, do not weep as those who have no hope. I beg of you, if you want to have a house cry, be kind to my wife. She doesn't want to hear you wail. Because she knows where I'll be. And she's told me that many times. And so if they're having a house cry or you're holding my funeral, that's just my body and it's been giving me trouble ever since the day I put my trust in Jesus. And to put it in the ground is a good thing. So don't weep for me. You can come in and cry. It's okay. Jesus did. John 11. He cried and he knew that in five minutes he was going to raise Lazarus. So it's okay to cry. But don't weep as those who have no hope. So if somebody walks in in my funeral and starts wailing, the rest of the church body be kind to my wife and redirect that person right out of here. It'd be good for you moms and dads, to have those kind of conversations with your kids. 
And when it comes time for you to lay my body in the grave, oh, know that I'm already rejoicing with Jesus. For to be glorified is so much better. There's coming a day when you, as a believer, will cross over from death into life, and all of the problems of this body will be over. You will no longer be going through sanctification anymore. You will be in glorification. So let us rejoice for those brothers and sisters who make it to the other side. This is a glorious thought. In the meantime, this body gives me no ends of trouble. This flesh wants me to sin. It's a struggle. It's a fight. We've talked about that already. There's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. And so there is a fleshly struggle that's going on as I fight against the flesh to put off the flesh and to follow after the Spirit. The body also gives me trouble, and this is the point of today's passage. The body also gives me trouble as I carry the penalty of sin. Your body carries the penalty of sin. I want you to hear this, and I'll put on the screen for us to let it sink in. Suffering is the result of sin. Suffering, and that's what we're going to talk about in today's passage. Suffering is the result of sin. So when I talk about this body is giving me trouble, there's suffering that's going on in my life and in your life, Today and for the rest of your life, suffering is going on and it is a result of sin. You'll notice that I put an asterisk beside the sin. Be careful. Be careful of seeing someone going through infirmity. That's the word that's going to come out in today's passage. Be careful about seeing someone go through infirmity and saying, All my sick because of some blessing all been making him. Don't go there. Don't go there. Yes, suffering is a result of sin, but you don't know whose sin it is. It might, and we'll uncover this, it might just be because there's sin in the world. That person never did anything wrong. Do you remember the blind man that was brought to Jesus and the disciples asked Jesus, who did sin? This man? Or was it his parents because he was Born blind. That's the kind of mentality. The mentality that says, I see an illness in a person's life, and that person must be a sinful person, and that's why he's getting that. That is the wrong mentality. Here's what Jesus said. It wasn't that man that sinned, and it wasn't his parents that sinned. He's blind so that I can be glorified in his healing. That's a different way of thinking, brothers and sisters, and I hope that as a result of our time together today in Romans 8, that you will start to think a different way, that God brings infirmity into your life for His glory and for your good. And so I put an asterisk there. Suffering is a result of sin, but asterisk, be very careful, don't jump to a conclusion and say it must be His sin that made that sickness. No, 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 no. There's sin. Sometimes it might be the direct result of their sinfulness. Friend, know that there are sins that you can do that will bring sickness upon yourself. If you live a life 
of immorality and you pick up HIV, hear me. It does not matter if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That HIV is still there. There are sins that you do that there will be sickness as a direct result of it. There are sins in the world as well. Not only in your body, but the effect of sin is in the world. Oh, All you have to do is pay attention to the news this week. 3.8 million refugees have fled from the nation of Ukraine. All of them women and children. 3.8 million. That's a number that's so big we don't even know how to wrap our mind around it. 10 million, one-fourth of the population of Ukraine, 10 million of them have had their homes destroyed this last month. That's more than our entire population of our nation have lost their homes. Could you imagine if every person in our country lost their home in the last month? That's suffering. And you flip the coin and look at the other side, and if the numbers are to be believed, it's anywhere between seven to 15,000 Russian soldiers have died in this very same battle in the last month. Can you let that sink in? Because there are families in Russia who have had their sons go off to battle and they don't even know yet that their son was killed in battle. That's seven to 15,000 families that will be weeping in the next few days. Oxfam tells us that globally right now there are as many as 30 million people living in famine. Most of those in South Sudan and Nigeria. Not enough food, malnutrition, literally going hungry day by day. 30 million. That is the result of sin in the world. say, Pastor, how's that work? Somebody got greedy and said they're going to take another nation. Ten million people lost their homes. Seven thousand soldiers lost their lives because of sin in the world. Corporations got greedy. Governments got corrupt. And 30 million people went hungry today. That's the result of sin in the world. Paul takes aim at this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. Because that sin affects every single one of us. Every one of us is still in our bodies. If you're listening today, you're still in your body. And you will endure suffering. If you're not suffering today, you will have suffering at some point for the rest of your life. So look at verse number 18. He writes this, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I'm going to talk to you this morning about comparing the incomparable. They're not worthy to be compared is what he said. He said the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Here's here's another way to say that statement. Today's sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the future glory that we will receive. If you're a believer, there's glory to come. And today's suffering is not even worthy to be compared with that glory that is to come. Those are two very opposite experiences. Suffering 
That's a very different experience from glory. As I look back through my life, the deepest suffering that I can think of that I have endured, and I don't even feel like this is right for me to expose this because I know many of you have gone through things that are at a much deeper level for you personally. My own deepest sorrow and suffering was when my brother passed away. 19 years old, very strong, suddenly, without expectation, never saw it coming. I walk into the church and my dad tells me, I've got to leave right now. Your brother just died. We were close. I held it together all throughout the funeral. But the night of the funeral, we're going to bury him the next day. Somebody showed me a picture. That picture is stuck in my head for the rest of my life. That picture I had never seen before. And it was of my brother on the campus at university walking into a crowd of people. There was a big crowd of people and the picture was taken of him from the back and he was walking into the crowd with his arms outstretched like that as he walked into a crowd of people. I have no idea what the setting was, but the metaphor that came out of that hit me like a ton of bricks and I wept like I've never wept in my life. You might have experienced something like this. There was a pain in my chest that was suffering. And the only other time I've ever come close to that was when I left my daughter Ariel at university. As I got in the car and I knew if I turn right, I go back to see her and I turn left, I drive away and I go around the world. There's suffering in this world. And I know nothing of the suffering that's involved as, I, as someone hunkers down inside their house as a fighter jet flies by at crazy speeds and bombs the homes next door. I know nothing of that suffering. And I know nothing of the suffering that's involved as cancer ravages the body. Oh, but many other people feel this pain. I know nothing of the shame of someone abusing my body. I know nothing of the fear as fire consumes my home. These are all sufferings that happen because of sin in the world. Sin is there. We're still stuck with this body. And yet, this word of hope in verse 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The opposite experience to suffering is glory. Perhaps you've known these sufferings. And I want to speak a word of hope and comfort to your soul this morning. There is coming a glory that is to be revealed in us. If you're a believer, you've been justified. And you are being sanctified in the process of these sufferings. But there's coming a day when His glory will be revealed in you. And it will not even be comparable. It's a wonderful goodness of the glorification of God that will be revealed in you. And it will be so glorious that you will not even bother. In that day, you will not even bother to think, oh, how terrible those things were. I heard a preacher say it like this. 
There's coming a day when you and I as believers will stand in heaven around the Heavenly Father's throne in the presence of the Lamb and all of the glories that are to be there in that day. And we will look at one another and we will say, do you remember what it was that we went through and we thought it was so bad? Did we call that cancer? For the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glories that will be revealed to us. And so if I might interject a Pauline prayer at this moment, even so come, Lord Jesus. I don't know what you are going through. Some of you have shared and some of you have not shared. And I would never assume that I know the depth of suffering that is going on in this room at this moment. But I can speak hope from the Scriptures. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. There's coming a day when He will make it so much better that we'll look back and say we don't even need to put them on a comparison. That one's gone away. Pretty thing, a pretty cool thing happens as Paul continues to walk through this passage. I see three things that he does to help us while we wait for that glorification. I'll outline them for you. Verse 19 to 22 is one. Verse 23 and 25 is the second. And then 26 and 27 is the third. Let me start with the first one. It's in verses 19 to 22. First thing is this. Creation longs for us to be glorified. Creation longs for us to be glorified. See it in verses 19 to 22. There's a word that he's going to repeat. I want you to pay attention and listen. See if you can find what word is repeated in all four verses. Here's verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of Him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. The word that was repeated was creature. In the 22nd verse, the 4th verse in those, it's translated as creation. That's because in English we don't have a way to say the whole creature, meaning the whole creation. It's the very same word. So creature, 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 then creation, only because we can't say creature again. It is the same word, however, in Greek. He says, the creation, we'll use that because we, when we say creature, we think of a beast. We think instead of all of creation, God has subjected, it says, all of creation to vanity, verse 20. Subjected to vanity. In other words, it's held down in bondage. It is not fulfilling what it was originally intended to fulfill. He created all things to be good. And then He held it back. Why? Because man sinned in the garden. Do you remember it? That's what happened. Man sinned in the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Man sinned. God put a curse on man. And God put a curse on the ground. 
And ever since that day, all of creation groans and travails and waits for the liberty of man. You can see that in verse 21. Because the creature itself has, shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Here you go. God put a curse on the ground because of man. But there's coming a day when God will glorify man and He will make the earth new. So then in the meantime, the earth creation is waiting, groaning, travailing, looking forward to the day that believers get glorified because it too will be glorified. You say, Pastor, that sounds like a metaphor. It sounds like just a talk picture. No, 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 no. Creation is paying attention to what God's doing. It is. You say, how, why do you know that? Because, do you remember Jesus' triumphal entry on His way into Jerusalem? You remember that experience? And the people said, hey Jesus, you need to tell everybody to kind of calm down because the Romans are going to hear us and they're going to get ticked off. You need to calm the people down. And you remember what Jesus said? If these people hush up, the stones will cry out. They're paying attention. They know where their Creator is. They know who their Creator is. The earth, all of creation, groans and travails until now, waiting for the freedom, the liberty of men, mankind. Why? You look through our own history. I'm going to give some for just our own memorable history. Some of you might be old enough to remember older than these, but... The majority of us don't. Why would there have been a volcano in Rabaul in 1994? And why would there have been a tsunami at Itape 1998? Why a cyclone Guba in Oro Province 2007? Why a 7.5 earthquake in Moro in 2018? Why? Because all of creation groans and travails. What you and I would call natural disasters is the earth reflecting the fact that there is sin in the world. But there's coming a day when there will be no more sin and He will make all things new. Revelation 21, this is the end. And John writes, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And then in verse 3, he continues the thought, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. We can't have that now because there's sin. But there's coming a day when He will place His tabernacle among men, and we will be right with God, and all sin will be gone. He will dwell with them and they shall be His people and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. That's us glorified. And then he continues the thought in verse 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Don't you look forward to that day? And there will be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any pain, for the former things are passed away. All of creation longs for this to happen. Creation waits, as it were, on the sidelines, cheering on the day. Oh, let the glorification of man happen. For when man is glorified, all of creation will be redeemed. But God will not redeem creation before He redeems man.
come now into verse 23. Paul continues these words of hope. Number one, creation longs for us to be glorified. Number two, we believers long for our own glorification. When I say we long for it, we look forward to it with great expectation. We want it. We long for our own glorification. See verse 23 to 25. Verse 23. Not only they, not just the creation is longing, but we ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, that is, the redemption of our body. But we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? If we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Hope is at the core of faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's what we hope for. And so in our salvation, we hope and we long for, we look forward to the redemption of our bodies. So that when one sleeps, We do not weep as those who have no hope, but instead we look forward to the redemption of our bodies, for He glorifies. Oh, a perfect body being with Jesus forever. Whether that happens in the rapture as He says, come up hither, or it happens at your death, for to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You cannot be with the Lord in your sinful body. For no man can be with him and live. So then, to be absent from the body, present with the Lord, forever glorified. Oh, this is what we look forward to. Look closely at verse 23. We're saved by hope. Uh, Sorry, verse 23. Not only they, but ourselves also, we have the first fruit of the Spirit. We groan within ourselves. So the first fruit of the Spirit. The moment you're saved... The Holy Spirit indwells you. This is called the first fruit of the Spirit. But you and I, gardening people, understand when you have first fruit, there's more to come. And so we have the first fruit of the Spirit, the moment of salvation. I have the first fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit comes in, indwells me. I can now follow Him instead of following my flesh. And then I can look forward to the day when I will be with Jesus forever. And so I have the first fruit of the Spirit, and then what happens as a result of that? We groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, that is the redemption of our bodies. So we look forward to the day when our faith is made sight, I no longer hope for, but instead I get to live out and realize the way that I am made new. I wonder if you have this longing. Do you look forward to being glorified? Do you look forward to go be with Jesus? I hope you don't think for me to stay here is better. Oh no, to be with Jesus is far better. So we've seen the creation longs for us to be glorified. Second, we saw we as believers long to be glorified. And then number three, the Holy Spirit helps us while we wait to be glorified. And we'll see that in verses 26 and 27. The Holy Spirit helps us while we wait to be glorified. Look at verse 26. Likewise also, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, 
But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This is a great hope for us who are still in our bodies. We're still stuck here. And yet he's given the first fruit of his Holy Spirit to indwell us and to help us while we wait to be glorified. You don't get to shortcut it. Please, don't hear my sermon today and say, Pastor told us we need a shortcut and just go straight to heaven. No, 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 no. There's a process of sanctification that will, then you will get to glorification. Don't shortcut his process for you. The Spirit helps our infirmities. If we were to take a moment and look through and see the context of this, I hope that you would understand when he says infirmities, he's talking about sickness. This is not just some, I didn't get a promotion at, at work type of infirmity. This is sicknesses. This is illness. There's travail in my body. And the Holy Spirit helps us. That's the words that he uses in verse 26. The Spirit helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. You know what that looks like? God, I want to pray. But I don't know what I'm supposed to pray. Now be careful about going super charismatic on this. There's very plain meaning to the text. I don't know what to pray. You ready? As a pastor, many times when I sit beside someone in the hospital who is on their deathbed, I don't know what to pray. And they don't know what to pray. Do I pray, God, would you heal me? Or do I pray, God, would you give me strength as I go from death into life? Do I pray, God, don't let me curse the doctor when he comes in with no good news? What do I pray for? So I don't know what to pray. Do I pray, God, give me healing? Or do I pray, God, take me home to be with you? Which would be so much better. And so when I don't know what to pray... He says that the Holy Spirit, who is my first fruit, He has come along and He will help me. And He'll do it through groanings that cannot be uttered. The Holy Spirit does not groan. Oh, He knows exactly what needs to be done. He knows exactly what needs to be said. So don't think the Holy Spirit's there doing some kind of heaven talk place. No, this is the Holy Spirit using your groanings. God, I don't know. That's what groaning is. Groaning is not some kind of, ugh. Groaning is, I don't know what to do. Father, I don't know how to pray. So God, I'm just going to give it to you. I'm in the middle of an infirmity. It won't go away. And I need you. I need you to work. And how you see fit, God, do it. And the Holy Spirit comes along. And he says, I know how to take care of this one. Now look at the promising words. In the next verse, verse 27, He that searcheth the hearts knoweth the mind of the Spirit. Oh, that should give hope to you, brother and sister. If you're not a believer, you don't get this stuff. It doesn't work for you. If you never put your trust in Jesus, you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you. No need for you to pray. It doesn't work. 
But if you're a believer, you put your trust in Jesus, you have the first fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of you, and He who searches the hearts, that's God the Father. I'm just going to shortcut. I won't take the time to develop and show you where I got that. That's God the Father. He who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit so that He knows exactly what it is that you need and He will meet that need according to the prayer of the Spirit. So then, think of it this way. The Heavenly Father hears the prayer of the Holy Spirit on the basis of the work finished by Christ on the cross. Did I tell you the Gospel will transform your life? Here's the whole Trinity working on your behalf. The Father hears the Spirit because of the work of the Son. If it wasn't for the work of the Son, you never would have got the Spirit. So you put your trust in Jesus, and He gives you the Holy Spirit, and there's the Holy Spirit giving you hope, working alongside you as you go through that infirmity, that sickness in your life. And the Father, the one who searches the hearts, here's the Holy Spirit as you just pour out your heart. I don't know how to pray, God. I don't know if you've been there. Corruption has affected my life. I've got cancer, and I don't know how to pray. Just this morning, a missionary friend in Finland posts on social media, I went for the scan yesterday, and today the doctor told me, most likely this is going to kill me. I don't know how to pray. Guys, let's just be honest. That moment's going to come for every single one of us. And if you don't root yourself in the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to be working on your behalf, when you're in the middle of an infirmity, when you get there, you're going to start thinking the opposite way, thinking, but God promised that He would give me all good things. He did promise to give you all good things. We'll see it in a minute. But you've been thinking all good things is the wrong stuff. You need to understand that those sicknesses are coming into your life for your good. Oh, well, let's just go ahead and see it. Look at Romans 8 and verse 28. See it in verse 28. These are words of hope for us, brothers and sisters. Our Heavenly Father is actively involved in helping you. See it in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. That has everything to do with suffering. You'll notice that never once in Romans chapter 8 did He ever mention anything about your bank account. And He never said anything about a fancy car or a nice house, or giving a seed offering, or getting a healthy life. None of those are promises from God in Scripture. The only time you ever get that is from some preacher that's trying to get you to give him money. Start thinking theologically, church. Don't let these thieves that stand on TV and purport that your bank account will grow bigger because you gave him money, stop listening to them. They're liars. You know what God promised? I'll use all things for your good. We believe in context. So what are the all things? I've got them underlined in my Bible in red. If I look down through verse 18, I reckon that the, here's what's underlined in my Bible, the sufferings of this present time. 
Verse 22, travail in pain. Verse 23, we ourselves groan. Verse 26, our infirmities. That's the all things. And we know that He worketh all things together for good. You know what all things are? Infirmities. He said it's going to happen, guys. So when that happens, don't go looking for somebody else gets sick. Don't go looking for where's the sin in their life. Jesus said something about that. It had a lot to do with a beam in your own eye. Be careful about going and looking for where the sin is in that person's life who has cancer. Instead, weep with those that weep. It's what we're called to do in love. Don't come alongside of them and be Job's friends and tell them what he's done wrong. Instead, come alongside of them and put your arm around them and cry with them and pray in a way that you don't know how to pray. Let the Holy Spirit do His work for the one who searches the hearts will hear the Holy Spirit's words. And He will work all things together for good. And I don't know what that good might look like in your process of sanctification. Maybe your good looks like you seeking Him. And that's certainly good. For in that day-to-day illness that you can't get rid of, Brothers and sisters, I know that we have people among us that are that way. Can't get rid of it. And it's not your fault. Don't listen to some health, wealth, and prosperity preacher who will tell you if you just had enough faith, you would get healed. That's rubbish. Romans 8 tells us that God brought it for your good. So in the middle of it, if nothing else, it causes you to look at the character of God and say, God, I don't understand why you would allow this sickness to be in my life or this infirmity or this pain or this suffering. I don't know why you would allow this to be in my life, but it's going to cause me to lean in against you. And friend, I can tell you that that in itself is good. For anything that brings you closer to our Lord is good. Maybe your good looks like us remembering that we are just frail men and women in need of Him. And for us to remember our own frailty is good. And maybe this good is a part of your sanctification and that the infirmity will reveal sin in your life that nobody else knows about and you didn't even know about until that came up. So then you can see, oh, this is a part I need to get rid of. Maybe I get angry really fast when I'm in pain. And I need to work on this. And God's allowed this so that I could see it. And God's working it for my good. And it's not just verse 28 that gives us hope. It's also verse 30. I will finish with verse 28. Next week we will pick up with 28 and continue on. But I want to give you a glimpse of verse 30 because this is not just a standalone concept. Verse 30 gives more to this idea. Verse 30, Moreover, whom He, that's God, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. This is a promise of God that He called you. Did you see the word back in verse 28? He works all things for good to them that love Him, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So if He called you, He has justified you. You're a believer. 
And if he has justified you, you haven't gotten there yet, but it's coming, you will be glorified. And can I bring in verse 18's words? I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. There's a coming day when He will reveal His glory in us. And when He does, we will look back on these fleeting sufferings and we will say, oh, His glory far outshines anything that I could have ever gone through. Could I ask you to bow your heads with me? I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment. I'll share some of my heart over the last two weeks. I've been more and more impressed, providentially impressed to pray for those in our midst who are facing infirmities. Prayer is so important, church. You'll notice that this morning when I opened the service, I asked you, let us know when you're suffering so we can know to pray for you. Prayer is so important. We might not know how to pray, but oh, to pray for one another is so important. So this morning, I'm not going to ask you to come and kneel at the altar. I would like, however, to ask us if you'll remain seated. If you've got an infirmity this morning, sickness, illness, suffering, physical, emotional, spiritual. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but could I ask you to raise your hand? I would love to pray for you. I won't call you by name, but I would love to pray for you in just a moment when I close in prayer. So you got any infirmity, would you raise your hand in acknowledgement? I'm frail, and I need my Heavenly Father to do His work, and I don't even know how to pray. Would you raise your hand? There's hands all over the room. There's coming a glorious day. Can I speak comfort, friend? There's coming a glorious day when you'll look back on this light affliction. Oh, and it will be glorious. So, Heavenly Father, you see the hands all over our auditorium this morning. And you see the depths. Oh, some much more than others. And, Father, you know the pain. You've promised that you've placed your Holy Spirit within every single believer and that you would help our infirmities. You make intercession on our behalf. And you will make all these things to come together for good. And so we're going to trust your all-knowing heart while we lean on your all-knowing hand. Which in your beautiful... Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.